So before we begin then, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the infinitely merciful one, the undefeated one, the unvanquished one, the omniscient one, our teacher, our master, our guide. Reminding ourselves that it is because of his mercifulness today we have the Dhamma to free ourselves from suffering and to cross the ocean of samsara. As we do so, let us also remind ourselves that on this occasion we remind ourselves of our purpose here, why we have come all this way. Being grateful to our merits, to our teachers, and renewing our pledge to ourselves to be over and done with this once and for all, let us bring our palms together in veneration of the Supreme Buddha. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Thasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Thasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Now hopefully Since the sermon last week or the week before, having meals should never be the same again. Because now you understand that every time you put something through that hole that you have in the middle of your faces, you do it with a purpose. Perhaps until then you thought to yourself you were eating all those things that you, were, you identified with names, vegetables, fish, meat, eggs, and so on, greens. What this machine does is simply break it all down because to the body, the things that you put through your mouth are absolutely useless in that configuration. In that arrangement, it is absolutely useless. This is what all animals do. They take in substances into their body, either through their mouth or whatever orifice they might have, and then it is broken down so that it can be rearranged. in ways that is useful to the body that the food is taken to sustain. So I asked all of you to contemplate on this when you take your meals. That will help you to break any attachment that you have with food. Because this is a problem that most people have. 
Many people have. Attachment to food. They struggle to give up. Sometimes you look for variety. Now you have to question what is variety. Today you eat chicken and then tomorrow you say, I don't want chicken anymore. Can I have what? Mutton? Then you say, I don't like that anymore. Can I have some beef? Then you say, I don't like that anymore. Can I have some fish? Variety. I mean, often when you look for variety, you're not necessarily thinking about the nutrients in the food. That is not necessarily what you're looking for. You're just looking for variety. Variety for the sake of variety. Because you feel that you're eating something different. And just think about the different ways in which you cook the same food. Today you bake it, tomorrow you cook it or fry it, deep fry it. See, variety. Variety for the sake of it. But once you put it down into your mouths and in your stomach, it matters not how it went in, because whatever goes in, the digestion process starts breaking it down into its constituent parts. Because the stomach and your body doesn't care whether it is fried chicken you ate or baked chicken you ate. So all these differences, all these desires are north of your neck. In other words, it is the mind that looks for these differences. It is the mind that looks for this variety. But you can only begin to contemplate on this once you begin to realize that this is the truth. Otherwise, what do you contemplate on? How do you give up attachment to food without understanding the truth behind it? It is always the truth that can set you free. So wherever there is an attachment in your mind, you can be assured that that is because you haven't understood and realized, comprehended the truth behind it. It is time that we begin to see the world in that way. Whatever attachment you have, it is only because you haven't seen the truth behind it. So, that is also good news because then you don't need to get all flustered and worried about it. If you, if you are attached to this, if you are attached to this leaf, be assured that it is only because you don't see the truth behind it. That's it. So what should you do then? Go to the Devala? Stand on one leg? And eventually you will, your attachment will sever? If you are beginning to understand that it is only because of your a lack of understanding, a lack of comprehension, a lack of realization, you are attached to this object, then what do you do? How do you free yourself? Starving yourself? Now you begin to understand. That is why in Buddhist philosophy, they don't talk about any of these things. These rites and rituals are of little significance. They may come as part of, perhaps, you know, like Lent, for instance. Right? It, may, it might come as part of a religion, a practice, because it's what unites people. When people, two people do the same thing, they're united, aren't they? When you were younger and you were at school, if you used to brush your hair backwards, you know, you'd see someone else brush their hair the same way, you feel some kind of bond towards them, a special bond. You, you can't explain why, but they just look very similar to you. So, 
similarity we seek because it helps us to form bonds. So, let us understand then that wherever you have an attachment and you're trying to free yourself from those attachments because by now you understand that attachment only breeds suffering. I think we are all in agreement and in understanding of that truth. Attachment only breeds suffering. So now that we all understand that, let us ensure that we only do the right thing to, us, to free ourselves from that attachment. And what is that right thing? Just to realize. That's it. That is why when a sotapanna, or when one becomes a sotapanna, you know that they are freed from three cankers, sakkhaiditti, vichikicca, and silabhata paramasa. Silabhata paramasa. Why is one freed from Silabhata Paramasa? Silabhata Paramasa is in fact engagement in various rites and rituals for the purpose of salvation. If you understand that your attachment to this is all down to Mitya Ditti and Samma Ditti is the only thing that's going to set you free, then what is the meaning of engaging in rites and rituals for freeing yourself from this? See, it's all connected. It all makes sense, does it not? That is why someone who has seen the light, someone who has seen the truth, is forever free from Sila Badaparamasa. It is not like someone comes and takes that part out of their body or something. It's not that. It's just a realization they come, they come to. If you know that to fill a bucket you have to open the tap, when you want your bucket filled, you don't go running around the house, do you? Once you learned it, once you realized it, you realized it. You can't unrealize it. Sakkhaiditti is your understanding that all there is are aggregates. There are no units, there are no entities. We've, you know, we will have interpreted these concepts previously in similar ways. And today as we talk about no separation or the fact that things cannot be separated, we give that interpretation to Sakkhaiditi. That is not to say that what we talked about earlier was wrong. Previously we used to say, to take something as being pleasurable is Sakkhaiditi. True. And today I'm saying the same thing, just in different words. Because what happens when you take something as pleasurable? What is this thing that you take as pleasurable? Entities, objects, when you take things as one unit, that is what you take as pleasurable. So, is it, it is, not, is it not the same thing to say that Sakkhaiditi is freeing, is, is the misunderstanding or the miscomprehension that there is pleasure to be had from these objects, and then to say the very fact that you see individual objects, individual entities, and you perceive them are one and the same. It's the same concept, but you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It just gets a bit more profound every time you, you take another sermon, every time you take one step forward. That's it. So it's not like three years ago we were talking about one thing and today we are talking about something else. 
it is your task, it should be your task to piece all these things together. So that with every lecture you take, with every sermon you attend, with every session you, you take part in, you deepen your understanding like, just like sharpening a pencil. You do the same thing over and over again, but the more you do it, the sharper it gets. That's the way it works. So the more you practice the Dhamma, the more profound your wisdom becomes, the sharper your wisdom becomes. And the sharper your wisdom, the better you can pierce the veil of ignorance and attachment with. In other words, really, you don't really have to do anything. Sakkai Ditti, Silapada Paramasa, and Vijikicca, all these things, these fetters, are freed from the mind simply when you come to your senses about what's going on really, when you understand the truth. Samma Ditti is the answer to all of this. That is why when you come here, you know, what do we do? We allow you and help you and support you to engage in as plenty of merits as possible. And then we give you the Dhamma. Ping and Kusat. These are the two things that are necessary for one's progress. And that is why Guru Hamdra always encourages people, all of us, you, us, included all of us, engage in as many merits as you possibly can and work on your work diligently on freeing your mind from ignorance. That's it. The Dhamma is the answer. The Dhamma is the answer to ignorance. Because what is the Dhamma after all? The truth. What is the answer to ignorance? <laughs> the truth. What else? What are you ignorant of? The truth. So once given the truth, then you are free of ignorance. That's it. What else do you have to do? Simple. See, you know, you, you've got your job, your work cut out quite easy as Buddhists, as proper Buddhists. If you're a proper Buddhist, you know, Nibbana should be you should be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You should begin to feel that Nibbana is only an arm's length away. It's achievable. It's reachable. It's out there. I can sense it. I can feel it. It's only a matter of time. If you are a Buddhist, you must begin to feel that way. But if you engage in all sorts of other rites and rituals in the hope of one day attaining salvation, anything other than engaging in merit, engaging in kusad, then I don't see how that is very Buddhist. Because what is Buddhist? It is coming to bodhi, or understanding. Understanding of the truth. Understanding is the only thing, the one thing that we all need to do to free ourselves from suffering. That's it. So simple. So easy. Easier said than done, isn't it? It's a bit like this, you know. Practicing the path to attain Nibbana is like threading a needle. It's not difficult. It's very subtle, though. It's not difficult. It's not like, you know, building a rocket to send to the moon. That's very complicated. That's very complex. There's a lot of work involved there. Whereas, working on your salvation is like threading a needle. It's very simple, but it's very subtle. You can go wrong plenty of times. Not because, not down to complexity. Simply down to accuracy, precision. These are things that are important here. Are you practicing the right thing? 
Doing it right is one thing. Doing the right thing is another. Some people do the wrong things the right way. To what result? Nothing. What is more important in Buddhist philosophy is making sure that you have the right thing to do. And the more times you do it, the better you get at it. That's the way it works. So we mustn't feel that I'm not doing this enough or I'm not doing this right enough. What's more important is doing the right thing. Even if you did the right thing once, it's better than doing the wrong thing a hundred times. Because once you do the right thing once, the second time round, you start having gained the results of the first time. Isn't that so? You're going somewhere, you want to get to a destination. You have to go left. Or you're right, my left. You take one step to your left. You take 200 steps to your right. Which one gets you closer to your destination if the destination is over there? The one step or the 200? See? Simple as that. What is more important is the number of steps or taking the step in the right direction. Which one? Taking the step in the right direction. That is what Samadhi is. That is why the Noble Eightfold Path starts at Samadhi and it ends at Samadhi. It's a cycle. So I think, you know, we must consider ourselves extremely fortunate to be in the right place, to be hearing the right things, to be in the presence of the right people. Don't you feel that way? Every day I count my lucky stars. How fortunate we are to be in and amongst ourselves, noble association. I mean, all the effort that you put in, for instance, to organize the Dakinanyo event last week. Someone was showing me some footage from, from, the, uh, from, the, from the event. On one occasion, uh, someone I, I saw, so one of the ladies who would come from Rajagiri, one of the devotees who would come from there, they were waiting in queue, not really sure what to do. And then one of our devotees at the monastery, when regulars, they had the atapirika in their hand. What she did was she went and offered it to that lady, I don't think they've ever met before. They offered it to the lady and said, you can go and offer it. Because she probably didn't know what to do, where to get the Atapirikara, where to go from here, where do I need to go, how do I do it. That was the first time they'd, they'd visited the monastery. See, the gift of giving. What is more beautiful and more heartwarming than giving is the gift of giving. I really enjoy that. I really, I, I love seeing that. Just how, how, you know, people can be inclined to help other people to take another step forward. And those little sacrifices are the true sacrifices of self. Those little sacrifices take people many leaps forward. A lot of the time people do merits because it makes them feel good. How about if you can do a merit to make someone else feel good? That means a lot more. No consideration for what loss you have to endure as long as there's gain for others. That altruistic intention is so worthy 
of worship, worthy of commendation. So, you know, these kind of things make people feel like, you know, something's happening here. Because it's not stuff that people would usually expect in a group, but particularly if they're new to a place. You expect you to be put to a side, right? Maybe others to, uh, you know, perhaps ignore you, right? That is usually what you'd expect. Imagine the first day at school. Perhaps you had just one person who came up to you and said, hey, how are you? What, are you, what are you doing, how can I help you? And that person went on to become your best friend. Usually that's how, it's, that's how it happens. But typically, you are ignored because you're the new guy. But when people are able to step outside of their own thinking circles and, and start to think about how other people feel things, how other people perceive things, how other people might react and respond to the environment in which they're in, we begin to start to see the world, start seeing the world from there, from their perspective. So putting ourselves in other shoes begins with that. And also reminding ourselves that we all started somewhere, and when we started, someone was there to hold our hand. That is how we got this far. Remembering our roots, where we all started, is such an important part of our practice. That is why gratitude is the foundation of all of this. And I could see the face, or the, the look on this lady's face, as she was, she was just, she was all struck. She, she didn't expect that. For someone to come and offer the very thing that they were going to offer, and then step out of the queue and say, it's fine, you can go and offer it. Marvelous. Those are the moments they will cherish forever. Right, when having gone back home, someone will ask them, how was the event today? How was your trip today? What did you do at the monastery? What do you think will come to their mind first? Things like that. That will stay with them. Well done is better than well said. Absolutely. So, well done. You did a fantastic job. Organizing all that, bringing everyone here, doing whatever you can to encourage them, to interest them, to excite them about visiting the monastery. Perhaps they may not come back a second time. That's okay. When we go around on arms, we never go the same path twice. That's okay. At least they've done it once. That's one more time than they've done before. That once is the beginning of the end. That's okay. That's why when people come here, you know, I always say, the reason they leave, or the reason they don't leave, the reason they stay, rather, is because of the people that they get to see and hear and meet and, and associate. Listening to the Dhamma is not, is not the biggest reason. Because, the, you know, it is said that people think with their minds, but they decide with their hearts. Have you heard that? Yeah. They think with their minds. They analyze. They reflect. They contemplate with their minds. But when it comes to decision time, all logic goes out. I can see your faces going, you can say that again, Swami Nuhansa. You can say that again. My mother said don't. <laughs> But then all logic goes out and your heart takes over. 
you become impulsive. Because you know you have to you have to be okay with the decisions you've made, right? You have to be home with the decisions you've made, and home is where the heart is. So when your heart says one thing, it's very difficult to then override that with logic and rhyme and reason. That is why people are, you know, sometimes people, although you know they have fights and arguments and all that, they still they still live together because they can't make their hearts up to say goodbye. Mind is made. It's a foul deal. You know, there's nothing for me to gain. You know, he or she is making just making use of me. This is abuse, but I still can't let go because my heartstrings tug. That's the most difficult barrier to get over. So, perhaps they came here because they heard the sermons in Rajagiri, but they stayed here and they will come back because they got to associate you. Guru Handra was asking me, you know, what are you going to tell them to come here? I said, well, I'm going to tell them to come and see the people here because our, our, our people is our most precious asset. And our people are not just our monks and anagarikas and anagarikas. All of you. If there's one thing that would define us as a monastery, we pride ourselves in our people. In who we have all become. Who we all are. And, and the way we conduct ourselves towards each other. That gracefulness with which we look after each other. I think that is what stands out for me, certainly. That is what I came here for, and that is what I am here for, and that is what I will be here for. So that's a sidetrack, coming back to the point. I get carried away sometimes. <laughs> Forgive me. What was I talking about? Vijikitsa and Sila Bhattaparamas, yes. So, we talked about chicken a couple of weeks ago. Have you been contemplating on that? I asked you the question, when does chicken stop being chicken and start becoming you? Did you contemplate that? And as you take your meals, do you do that at home now? Hmm? Good. At least when you are here, because we have, we've come here with purpose. Right, so when you when you mix your food together, when you eat your food, right, I need you to understand why is it that is that it is food that we eat, and the fact that once it goes down, in fact, you know, once it goes past your mind, it really doesn't matter what way it goes in. That's why you know when they like uh, for people who work in the forces and when when soldiers are out on the battlefields, you know, they get their nutrients in little packs. They're desiccated packs of nutrients and I, I, I don't think it tastes of anything perhaps maybe they're flavored I don't know never tried it but what I do know is you know they don't come in the assortment that you normally have your breakfast lunch or dinner so you don't they don't have you know meats and eggs and milk and all sorts you know this the, 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 that variety they don't have it's just a powder it's just a powder so if that is enough, that is because for the body, 
The body just needs the carbons and the hydrogens and these elements which it can recombine to form what it needs. So let's begin to understand this as a machine. That will help you a lot to take you leaps forward. Begin to understand this as a machine. You know, what, you're, what you brought here, what you kept on that chair is a machine. That machine has a, has a way in which it operates. It needs refueling from time to time. It needs rest. It breaks and it needs to be fixed. Right? So, this is a machine. And that is why you must not think that you know, you can, your machine can do everything that the mind wants to do. It would be wrong to think that. So sometimes people take a lot of risks with this machine, thinking that if my mind can do it, then the body can do it as well. Not true. Not true. You've got to understand this as a machine. And break this, come out of this perception that this is me. This is not me. This is just a machine. This machine works like any other machine. It will break and then it needs fixing, you need, it needs looking after, it needs maintenance. What you put in here, it will make use of and the garbage it will throw out. That's what the machine does. So be mindful about that. So I asked the question the other day and I ask you again, at what point does chicken stop being chicken? At what point does it become you? What, what, is, the, what is the answer to that? And if you reverse that process, there, so we know that it went through the mouth. This went through the mouth, down the esophagus, into the stomach. Right? And you, we watched the digestion process and how it was absorbed into the circulatory system right? and then carried to the cells. You had the nucleus where you had the blueprint for how your body is constructed. Right? And then the protein synthesis that took place. So when you say protein synthesis, what's really happening is what, put in, what was put in here, broken down, and rearranged. Yeah? So, can you begin to understand all of this? Actually, the mouth included. Can you begin to understand or think of all of this as a machine that rearranges stuff? Instead of thinking it as, your, as you or part of you or your digestive system, can you start to think of it as a machine that rearranges stuff? Can you? That's good if you can. That's what you should be able to do. This is a machine that rearranges stuff. So what is poop that comes out at the back? Stuff rearranged. That's it. So should it be repulsive? Should you be going, ugh, yucky? Hmm? What, at what point does chicken become poop? So if you put the poop back in here, say somehow we shoved it back in, right? And you took it back, the reverse process, right? Now it's back up here, and now in the stomach, right? And they send it up back to the esophagus, and then out through the mouth. At what point does it stop being poop 
and start becoming chicken. Or say, now, now you know, if, if, it's, if it's the chicken that has become part of your body, let's say you, you bit a part of your, maybe the inside of your mouth, you know, something. You know, of course, all the time you're swallowing things that already are part of your mouth. There are skin cells. Right? Maybe if you cut your finger, you, put, you stick it in your, in your mouth and you, you know, and you try to soothe yourself. Right? As you do that, parts of your body you know, go through your digestive system. And then it goes back in, and what happens then? Just as chicken was digested, now you're digesting yourself. Absolutely. In fact, in your stomach, there's a, there's a layer. I think they call it mucosa. Am I right? Thank you. So there's a, there's a layer that prevents the digestive juices from digesting the stomach. See how wonderful God's creations are? There's a layer that prevents the digestion of the stomach because to the digestive juices, it matters not whether it is chicken or me. Therefore, there is no such thing called me. There is no me there. That is why sometimes you have heartburn and, you know, like when you have refluxes, right? You start feeling, uh, it starts to burn your throat sometimes. That is because the acids begins to digest. That is what acids do. Digestion is breaking down. That's it. Nothing, nothing, nothing special about it. These bonds are broken and long chains of protein are broken down into shorter chains of amino acids. And then they keep on breaking until you get to individual amino, amino acids, which are then rearranged. Simple as that. Your machine, this, these machines that you have are so adept to it. They're very efficient at it. That they're very good at. You know, to, to, to do what your machines can do in a laboratory, you know, they probably have to fill some a machine, make a machine half the size of this room to be able to do all that. Because your machines are very adept to it and they're very efficient at doing it. And it's all so neatly packed in such a small space, isn't it? You wonder, how, how is that even possible? It's a miracle almost. But that is Vipaka. That is what Vipaka can do. There is no wastage. It's all very efficient, super efficient. The same system that can take your, your glucose will also take your oxygen. There is no waste. Very efficient. Because wastage doesn't, doesn't last. If ever there is something that is of no use, very soon it will, it will be cast off. That is how the world works. So at what point can we take the chicken back and out to the mouth and use or the, or the, you know, the part that has been digested and become part of your cell, if we send it back the reverse process, does it become chicken again? So when I say chicken, I need you to understand that there is not chicken as an entity we speak of here, 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 here long, yeah, any longer. What I need you to understand is this is just matter and arrangement of matter. All things are just an arrangement of matter. So what is this then? It's an arrangement of matter. This is why this can be rearranged and this can be made out of it. That is why this can be rearranged and this can be made out of it. That is why that can be rearranged and, well, you name it. All matter is just arrangements of matter. But we give them names. So let's not 
think that you know these things, the names we give are wrong. Then that's that's not the point. It's fine to have a name because by names we identify arrangements of matter. That is what we need to get into our heads. That is why they say sanya, the 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 metaphor that the Buddha gives is sanya is like a mirage. See what a fitting metaphor that is. Sanya is like a mirage. Because what, you know, when you say this is a pen, there is no pen here. What there is, is an arrangement of matter. We call it a pen. What is the nature of a mirage? What you, what you think a mirage is, is water, right? It's a pool of water. But is it there? No, but it gives you the impression that it is there. Doesn't it? Because uh, there's arrangement. There's an arrangement there that gives you the impression that there's, a, there's water there. In the same way, matter is arranged here to give you the impression that there's a pen here. So don't fool yourself to think that this pen, oh, this object is a pen. But is it not? What is it? It's an arrangement. It's an arrangement of matter and we can call it a pen. Rearrange this matter and you get a fan. Rearrange it, you get a whiteboard. Rearrange it, you get a fingernail. But when we say finger, you think, or you at least you perceive, that there is an entity that is called a finger and can only ever be a finger and it can never be a pen. That is why when a magician performs tricks, you think that's magic. See, if he had a pigeon in a hat, put the pigeon into the hat and goes, Abracadabra and pulls out a rabbit. You go, wow. We put chicken. Now, hear me out. <laughs> what? We put chicken through this gob, huh? and out of it, we get a leg, or a finger, or a face, or a nose. Hmm? You don't go, wow. Why is that? That is because you understand the science behind this. See, it's always where you know the logic, it is not magic. But when man first started eating stuff, right? imagine man, the first, the first man that, that ever set foot on this earth, he must have been hungry. He plucked a fruit out of a tree and ate it. Right? Maybe a few hours later, he felt uncomfortable. He didn't know what he had to do. He just felt uncomfortable. And then he probably sat down because he was feeling quite uncomfortable. Right? And then his body takes over. And then all of a sudden something pops out of his backside. And he goes, wow, where did that come from? Don't you think so? So then he began to ask questions. Where did that come from? Stinks. Where did that come from? So he, but you know, again, a few hours later, maybe a day or two later, he was hungry again. So he started eating again. And after eating, a few hours later, again, the same thing happens. So now he begins to understand, ah, so when I put something through this, it comes out the other end. So now, you know, he starts, starts making, two and two makes, starts to be, begin to make sense. So he, now he understands, there's a logic here. So then after that, it doesn't surprise him so much. So then science is born. Science is basically understanding things. That is what science is. That is why conscience or conscience is 
understanding things. That is what your mind does. Conscience. Conscience. So then scientists start to work on understanding how this digestive system works. How does the body work? So as soon as the logic is revealed, no longer is it magic. Now the reason sometimes you don't understand the way that you think, some of the actions that you take, some of the decisions you make, which you later on think, why did I do that? I can't understand why I am like that. Why, why did I do something like that? Why are these people like this? Why, ca- why can't they speak the truth always? Why do people lie? Why are people so greedy? Why are people so jealous? Why are they like this? It's only magic to you until you understand the logic. So this is what we do in Buddhism. When you come here for the sermons, what we do is we begin to understand the logic behind suffering, the logic behind dukkha, the logic behind the reason why we suffer. That is what the Four Noble Truths are. Is that not what the Four Noble Truths are? The logic behind jati. Until then, you think it's magic. If someone asks you, where do you come from? You, you don't have an answer to that. At least you didn't. Because we are talking about the you that you sense. Where does that come from? That is why even back then they used to go and ask the Buddha, Sir, this self, where is it? I, I sense a self. Where is it? I know I was there in my previous birth, and then many times before that. Where is it? What is it that carries me forward? Because the body breaks, that I have seen happen, and I know it's going to happen to me, but then I am going to carry on, that they call the Atma. That was a miracle. It was a magic how does this Atma carry forward? How does it, how does it go from, from birth to birth when the body breaks? How is that possible? These are the questions that people used to have. So they go and ask the Buddha, Sir, how do I, how do I transmigrate? How do I do that? Where is this, what is this vehicle that carries me forward? And the Buddha said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. Because keep asking that question, you're going down the wrong track. You're never going to get to the logic behind this. Ask the right question. Why do I sense? Why do I sense that you are a self? Why do you sense that you are a self? Ask me that question. So then he goes back all the way to explain that it is ignorance. Ignorance is ignorance of ignorance. So once taught the teaching, once given the teaching, he is no longer ignorance of ignorance. So, ignorant of ignorance. He becomes wise. He he gets to know what ignorance is. And then the moment you become aware of ignorance, you are no longer ignorant. Simples. So, you know, this has to be a practice now. This is the most important thing. You know, today we talk about this. Like last week, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. It now has to become part of your practice, ladies and gentlemen. That is so crucially important. So important. You know, you shouldn't be coming here to ask, right, okay, today, we, we, last week we talked about this, Swami, and next week, today, what are we going to talk about? Because what's going to take you forward, what's going to carry you forward on your path is the practice of what you already know. It's not the number of steps. If you know the direction, if you know the right direction, right, If you are going the right direction, that is more important, absolutely, no questions asked. But once you are heading the right direction, 
then it is the number of steps that's going to take you there. Don't you agree? Two people, they're both heading the same way. Which one gets to the destination sooner? The one that takes two steps a day or the one that takes five steps a day? The five steps. But two people, again, one goes the right direction, the other goes the wrong direction. Wrong direction, five steps. Right direction, two steps. Which one gets closer to the destination? Two steps, because they're heading the right direction. But if they're both heading the right direction, now which one gets to their destination sooner? The one that takes the more steps. Therefore, if you know the direction now, it's important that you start taking the steps. I can only guide you. I can't walk your path for you. So this is why as you live your life, as you go about things, I told you when you see the Swami Nuhansas come on arms, right? even today, right? can you see if you can perceive the monks, me, as I do the sermon, right? see even right now. Right? If, you, if, you, if you won't be reminded of this later on after you leave this room, well, do it right now. See if you can see a Swami Nuhansay here, or is it just matter rearranged? Because whatever went into making this was stuff that went in here. There is no other way that stuff could be put in. Raw materials, there is no other way it could be put in to make this. All this was what was eaten. All of this. Yes, there was a DNA. That was just a blueprint. Then DNA just did one thing. Stuff that was broken down, rearranged. Think about complexion for a second. I wanted to talk to you about this. Because sometimes, you know, that is another thing that people are, they get so, so attached to. Another one of these infatuations that people have. Complexion. Like sometimes, you know, people have a preference. Do you like dark skin or fair skin? It's a shameful question to ask now, you think. Huh? So, I mean, I said, don't insult us, please. I was trying to get some pictures to come and show you. Some, some babies, toddlers, right? All sat in a row. I just ha didn't have the time last night to prepare it for you. But you can imagine this, right? Some toddlers sat in a row, right? There are dark babies, white babies, uh, semi dark babies, right? So these babies all sat in a row and I wanted to ask you the question, which baby do you like better? Which one looks, which one looks nicer? Which one looks cuter? Is it the fair one? Or is it the dark one? Which one do you look at and go, oh? See, when you begin to understand these things, you'll, you'll realize all this, you know, these these differences that we claim, racial differences, you know, down to complexion, it's just madness to think that a white man or a black man is, is, is better or worse. It's just madness. Because all it is, and I'll, I'll briefly explain to you the science behind this, right? all, is, all this is is just the stuff that has gone through See, there's in the skin, and I'm sharing this with you not because I want to give you a science lesson. Right? I'm sharing this with you because I want you to break free from any of any any of this any of this foolishness. Remember what what, I, what we discussed right at the start. If there's any attachment that you have, it is only because of your ignorance. Once you understand it, you are free. 
If you're attached to this, it is only because you're ignorant about this. So, actually, there's a funny uh, extension of that. You're only attached to things you don't understand. How's that precise? Are you attached to your wife? <laughs> hmm? Why is that? That you get it, yeah? I don't understand her so <laughs> Yes. If you're attached to something, it's because you don't understand it. True? No? Don't you agree? Because whatever you understand, you're not attached to. Why is the Buddha or an Arahant not attached to anything? They understand everything. You, are, you can only be attached if you don't understand something. Right, so... This is muscle. Okay, just imagine part of your body. This is muscle. So this is mag uh, magnified. And then you have the skin. And the skin, uh, in its very simplest structure, has three layers. You have the uh, epidermis. Epidermis? The one closest to the muscle? Then you have the dermis and the hypodermis. Sorry? On the outside, man. This one is on the outside, yeah? And then hypodermis. And the muscle, thank you. See, it's good to have people who know. Hypodermis, dermis, and the epidermis. Right, there we go. So these are all. Your, I mean, the, the, the outermost layer are dead skin cells. Right? And, you know, just doing that brushes off many hundreds, if not thousands of skin cells. So you shed a lot of you every day. That's why we have to sweep this place when you leave. <laughs> because you leave yourself behind. Right, so this is the muscle. Now you know how the blood, we talked about this, like the blood vessels, they take all the uh, they take the blood, so they have carry the blood cells and, and the nutrients, you know, the amino acids that were all digested in your digestive system, right? And they keep feeding. Wherever they go, they just keep feeding because there are capillaries and, you know, all sorts that carry these, these amino acids, the, 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 the carbohydrates and so on throughout your body. So here you have something called, you've heard of melanin. Hmm? There are organelles called... Uh, Melanosomes, melanocytes, melanocytes. Thank you, melanocytes. In this, so these are cells. In these melanocytes, there is a chemical reaction that takes place that converts. Uh, I think the, pro, the amino acid is called tyrosine. Like what was it? Tyrosine, right? Yes. Tyrosine to melanin. This is an amino acid change. This is one amino acid, and here's another one. So, 
the, this, this reaction takes place in your melanocytes, which are <coughs> specialized cells that lay on your, in your skin. And what they do is they convert these amino acids. So where do these amino acids come from? From the? From the? From the? From the chicken, yes. Right? So it's, it came from the chicken. So what came from the chicken is actually what gives you your skin color. See how silly we are to think that it is anything more than that. But when, you know, people, people like, people have preferences. I like dark skin. I like, I like fair skinned. So much. So, you know, why, how come the cosmetic industry is so successful? Because people want to change part of, their, part of what they look like. Their skin color being, uh, you know, a big part of that. Why do people tan themselves? Okay, they like to get a tan. Right? Now, <clears throat> when we have people who visit us from parts of the world where they don't get a lot of sun, right, they go and spend their time on the beaches. To get them get a nice tan, they say. Because what does tanning do? It activates these melanocytes. And this, so this is the body's natural umbrella, so to speak. To protect each of these cells, they have a nucleus. Right? And this nucleus is, you have to protect it from ultraviolet radiation. And the sun's rays have a lot of UV radiation. To protect this, this nucleus from ultraviolet radiation, you have the melanin. It's like a natural umbrella. Because what happens if you didn't have it? The radiation affects the DNA and therefore it causes all sorts of changes in the DNA and then you get, sometimes it can go into cancer because it starts to reproduce itself, right? That's what the DNA is responsible for, creating proteins, right? And then when it goes into hyperactive mode or it, sta it starts creating stuff that is not what the body needs, right? You get all sorts of problems as a result. Everything is. Because it is also Rupa. This DNA, it's, 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 uh, after all, you know, it comes... Now, we, we've heard of the Pratisandhi, which is the, the, the karma that brings you rebirth. Right? As part of that package, you get your DNA. That is why if you are male, there is nothing you can eat that makes you female. That is part of your DNA. That is determined at the point of your birth. But that is also determined by your vipaka. And we've heard of these stories plenty of times, right? How as a result of uh, an, uh, a meritorious deed someone did, or perhaps a demeritorious deed someone did, they were born a certain way, sometimes maybe handicapped, maybe sometimes, you know, with uh, perhaps, a, you know, blind, right? Because then there, there may be certain proteins that, that, that are not manufactured because you don't have a certain part of DNA. So this is all determined by Vipaka. So your karma determines how and what you're going to be born as in the future. Now coming back to the melanin, these are your natural umbrellas and they get unfolded to protect your skin from UV radiation. So the more of it on your skin, the darker it looks.
Because what that melanin does is, when sunlight falls on it, it reflects more of it, or less of it. You know, the reason this is dark, the reason this is, what color is this? This is black, right? This clap is black. You say this is black because much of the light that falls on it is not reflected back to you. That is why you say this is black. So this is white, this part. That's because much of the light that falls on it is reflected. So therefore, there has to be something in here, something in here that absorbs or reflects the light that falls on this. So that is all that melanin does. This is why your skin is a different shade to perhaps somebody else. But it's all what you've eaten. So it is the chicken that you ate that has given you the color that you are. That is why people ask, you know, what should I eat to be fairer? Hmm? If you ask mothers, they'll, they'll tell you. Have carrots and, you know, all sorts, right? If you eat these foods, you become fairer, people say. And there's a lot of research that goes into that. Nutritional scientists are always on this because, you know, people want to either be fairer or darker. They don't sometimes like the complexion of their skin. They want to change it. And then they, they try and do all sorts. Now, if it is for medical reasons, for practical reasons, I understand. But if it is purely for cosmetic reasons, right, you've got to take a lesson in Buddhism. That's the answer. So, what is the, what is the essence of this? You know, wh- why, why do people have these, these bonds, these attachments to a certain color of skin? That is because they don't understand where it all comes from. They don't understand the science behind it. They don't understand the logic behind it. Because they think when they, see, when they see a fair person or a dark person, they think that the person is dark. They, see that the, they think that the person is fair. They think there is part of the person. She's a fair girl. Or he's a dark guy. And it runs so deep that they start discriminating. See, all this discrimination is because of a lack of understanding of the Dhamma. To think that the color of the skin is part and parcel of one's identity is pure madness, don't you think? It is not a part of their identity. It is purely a part of their physical bodies. That's it. Not their identity. But when you think that this body is me, now it becomes part of your identity. It becomes that by extension. Now, here's another thing to think about. These sermons are getting a bit sciencey, aren't they now? But hopefully it's not, nothing too complicated, right? Yeah, and there may be some in the audience who's not like science or no, not science. But this is nothing very overly complicated. Now, this is not complicated at all. Like I asked you the question, at what point did chicken become human? Now I'm going to ask you another question. Tell me, at which point you feel that this is no longer part of the person? Okay, I'm going to draw a few structures, right? And you tell me, at which point do you feel that it is no longer part of the person? So, here's the muscle. So let's say this is the arm.
This is muscle. You have the blood vessels and all sorts, right? This is someone's arm, by the way. Muscle. Then you have the skin. So now we talked earlier about the three layers that form the skin. These are your dead skin cells. Right. Now, answer not to the Dhamma. Answer just in the way how you feel it. Okay? How you perceive it. These blood vessels, whose are they? Okay, let's give this guy a name. Sam. This is Sam's left arm. These blood vessels, whose are they? Sam's. The muscle? Hmm? Sam's. This, uh, the first layer of skin, the second, and the third, or the outermost layer of skin, Sam's. Yeah, you, you're, there's no doubt about that. You feel this is all Sam's. Okay. Now, I'm going to put Sam is going to wear a long sleeve shirt. Sam's now wearing a shirt. Okay? Now this is cloth. Yeah? So this was blood vessels, muscles, skin, and now this is cloth. How about this cloth? Also Sam's. Alright? So this is just a shirt. Let's give him a jacket. He puts a coat on above the shirt. And now he's wearing a he's wearing a coat. What about the coat? That's also Sam's? Yeah? Okay. I'm gonna put another coat next to it. Another coat. What do you say? Sam's? No, no longer Sam's? Ah, someone else's now. <laughs> so, this is Sam's. Yeah? So, this was Sam's shirt. This is Sam's coat. Now, I put another coat there. And now, you're not certain what you have to say. Well, this is just fabric. Two layers of fabric touching each other. Why don't you say it with such ease and, con and, and, and confidence as you did earlier? If this was Sam's, why is this not Sam's? Uh, because now you say, well, okay, if you say it's distance, right, let's put on, keep, on, put, keep putting on more layers. I had a friend like that. I had a friend who, <laughs> he liked to take uh, clothes for his family in Sri Lanka. He used to go to university with me back in back in England. He used to like to take clothes for his, for his brothers. He had a good few brothers in Sri Lanka. And, uh, of course, you know, in the cabin they have a weight limit, right? You can't take more than, what, 35, 40 kilos. So what he would do... I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. What he would do is he'd get... He'd buy all these clothes... And he said, well, there's no limit to how much I can weigh, right? As long as I can fit in that seat. And he would, he would put on coat after coat after coat after coat and lots of shirts and jackets and all on his body. And he would walk like this to the, <laughs> to the airport. You know, the staff couldn't say a thing. 
You know, who's to say you shouldn't be wearing so many layers of clothing? You can't say that. So I used to have a friend like that. So, you see, now when he wore all those layers, whose were they? They were his. So I'm asking you the question now then. I put another coat. Whose is that? Why do you hesitate? Come on, just say it's Sam's. <laughs> See, now you struggle. You say, you can't, you can't give me an answer. You can't give me a definitive answer. Because you know, I'm going to do something else next. Hmm? What I'm going to do, I'm going to put And I'm going to put another hand next to it. Another arm. Now, whose coat is this? You need the name, do you? That's Nikki. So whose, whose coat is this now? Nikki's. Hmm? How do you say this? Why do you feel that this is Nikki's and this is Sam's? Because all we are doing is putting two layers of fabric next to each other. When skin was like that, you had no problem. There were layers of skin. Right? And then there was layers of, like there was a vest perhaps, and then there was a, t a shirt, and then there was a jacket, and all the while you kept saying, this is all Sam's. Now I put another coat next to that coat. And now you begin to say, that's not Sam's, that's Nikki's. Why? And then in a moment I'm going to put this arm here. Well, there's another shirt here. And then the skin. And then muscle. And blood vessels. And muscle again. Skin. Shirt. And coat. How much of this is Sam's? How much of it is Nikki's? Why do you feel that way? This is, the, this is an, such an important question to ask. Although it might seem like something so simple, right, and something so obvious, this is such an important question to ask. Why do you perceive that this is Nikki's and this is Sam's? When, in fact, all we've done is put two layers of fabric together. That's all it is. Literally, two layers of fabric, one next to the other. Why do you feel one is Sam's and one is Nikki's? In fact, you know, if Sam likes Nikki, or N and Nikki likes Sam, right? They will try the, as much as possible to keep those two layers of fabric together. That's what they do. They keep the fabric together. Right? And but if they stop liking each other, now what they'll do is they say, "Take your arm away from me, please. Move. Don't touch me." Because Sam feels that all of this is Sam's just as much as you do. He feels this is all Sam's and from this side on that is Nikki's. And Nikki feels the same. This is Nikki's and this is Sam's. Where does, this all come, where does all this come from? Why do you feel this way? Why do you perceive this way? See, this is what we call separation. See, everything I've drawn on the board here now, can you not separate into two categories? What are these two categories? Sam's and Nikki's. See, you can separate. And this is not just the knowledge of separation. You actually perceive that separation. 
You actually perceive it. Deep down inside, you can sense that this is, that is why, you know, if Nikki and Sam say, let's say they, uh, they've got a, a, a crush, Sam's got a crush on Nikki. When Sam moves his arm closer to Nikki's, and as they, as, you know, they, they don't, it's not even their skin that touches each other. It's just the fabric. Right? If Sam's coat touches Nikki's coat, he feels, he feels a tingle going down his neck. He feels excited. How? All that's happened is fabric has come into contact with fabric. So then we should be able to just take two items of fabric, put them together like this, and feel the same way. We don't. But put your arm through this. Get someone else to put their arm through that. And now touch these two. Now, now you feel something that wasn't there earlier. Why is that? Think about this. You know, why do sometimes people, when they have someone they like, right? If they get a, perhaps, you know, say Nikki sheds a, a strand of hair. People do this sort of thing, you know, so for sentimental reasons. You know, Sam will pick it up and he'll take it home. You know, put it in his book or put it in a wallet or maybe under his pillow. And he'll feel that he's got Nikki with him. I want to prove to you that it is only a perception. Here's how we can prove that to you. If Sam didn't know that that hair dropped from Nikki's head, he wouldn't feel that way. It is required, it is a requirement that Sam knows that that hair dropped out of Nikki's head for him to feel that way. If he was just randomly walking along the street and saw a strand of hair, he's not going to pick it up even though it belonged to Nikki, if he doesn't know this. Is it not proof then? that Nikki is not something that's in the hair. What they perceive like this is not, it's not part of the hair. So why is it that when he knows that it was from Nikki, that strand of hair becomes special to him? This is what we call by sentimental. This is jati, this is separation. Using knowledge that you have, you separate things into categories. You separate things into boxes. You separate things and put them, give them labels. This is his, this is hers, this is mine. Now, there may be parents here, perhaps, right? When your, when your child dropped their first tooth, do you still have it? Perhaps there are parents who do that. The first tooth, right? The milk teeth, right? You take the first tooth, and I know parents who've done that. And, and they'll, they'll put it somewhere and say, this is, this is my child's first tooth. No, that was chicken. Sometimes the, the umbilical cord, hmm? the umbilical cord that connected the mother and the child after the child is born, the first born, sometimes, you know, very special, right? So they cut the umbilical cord, put it in a glass of bottle of formalin, and they keep it to a side. What do you think that is? Chicken. So why struggle so much? You can go to the supermarket and buy some. Just, you know, open the freezer. There's lots, plenty of it in there. Why do you have to put this into a, into a bottle of formalin and preserve it? You can get a fresh one every week. Because what went into making that umbilical cord? The food that was put in to the mother's body. 
rearranged into the umbilical cord. So why is that special then? Why is the first tooth that fell out of your little one's mouth special? Hmm? Why is that first strand of hair special? Why special? What is all this specialty? Why this specialness? Why do you feel that way? Maybe, you know, when these young putas, right, these uh, young Anagarika children, when they perhaps ordain at the age of 18, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe perhaps parents will come and say, please, can I have that hair? <laughs> can I take it with me? No, go to the supermarket, buy some chicken. <laughs> it's the same thing, rearranged. Why do you feel this way? You know, do you understand that this is a problem? Others are thinking, Swami Nansa, why are you talking about? Why is this a problem? You're just talking about why this feels special, you know, I, what's, the, what's the deal? Do you not understand that there is a deal here? This is a problem. It's a big problem. Because something that does not exist in the object, you perceive. These are hallucinations. You're hallucinating. Is that not a problem? It's like seeing ghosts. See, I can't see the cat on the roof, but you can. It's not there, but you still see it. That's madness. Insanity. So then we need to treat this disease. This is a mental ailment. Why do I say this? It's because as long as that's, that, that exists in your mind, this, this disease exists in your mind, you suffer. You suffer. See, that tooth, your child's tooth, in a bottle or a jar somewhere at home, right? If someone were to take it, how would you feel? Say there was a fire in the, in the, in the bedroom, right? Perhaps if you as a mother... I feel so attached to your child, right? Maybe the, the, the one thing if you were given the chance to save would be that, that tooth, because you have such sentimental value. Maybe your, your parents, perhaps, you know, still keep some of the things that you used when you were younger. Maybe the first bicycle that they rode, maybe the first uh, nappy, I don't know, this is still have the nappy as well, <laughs> that you pooped in. Maybe that's still at home. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe the first hairband that you girls wore, maybe they still have it. Maybe the first toothbrush that you used, they still got it at home. Maybe the first shirt, maybe the button that came out of it, hmm? maybe the shoes, maybe they still got it at home. See, sentimental value. I don't know about the senti, I understand the mental value part. <laughs> it's not actually senti, senti is what, ten, right? A hundred, centuries, hundred. I, I don't think it's sentimental. I think it's mega, <laughs> mega mental. <laughs> very, very, very mental. It is a problem. It is a problem because, because of that they suffer. See, fear comes in after that. What if? You try and touch some of those things. If you drop it, you know, they're going to get furious. Sentimental value. Maybe sometimes your grandparents, perhaps, you know, there are heirlooms that get passed down from generation to generation. Now, you know, think about antiques and maybe, you know, the, the things that you have in the museum. Why are they of so much value? Just think about it. Hmm? King Rajasinghe. His slippers. If we put it on eBay, 
How much do you think they'll sell for? The same as my slippers? No, because those were the slippers that King Rajasingha wore. So there is something about Rajasingha in the slippers. What? My question is, what? You know, the chewing gum that Britney Spears chews, you can buy it for $300. What goes into that, into the chewing gum? Chicken. I mean, once she sticks it in her mouth, right, it's got maybe dead skin cells from the insides of her mouth and maybe some saliva. All of that is secreted and generated from the chicken that she's eaten. But you can buy, you can't even buy a whole chicken for 300 It doesn't cost you that much. A whole chicken doesn't cost you $300, but that chewing gum, which you can't even eat again, even if you could, you wouldn't, because it's whose? It's Britney's. See, celebrities, huh? the things that they've used, they are of tremendous value on the market. You can buy them for a lot of money. Thus I'm asking you, what is, in, what is it about King Rajas in her slippers that makes it special? Why, are they, why do they have this antique value? I ask you. Maybe you have an, you know, an old chest of drawers at home. Right? Perhaps you're saying, this is 300 years old. It was passed down to me from my generation, you know, from my ancestors. Right? We've had this in the family for five generations, six generations, ten generations. It's 300 years old. 400, 500 years old, in the 1800s. Must you know, where does this value come from? Why do you feel that they are so valuable? See, if I... You don't call that art, do you? Well, if Michelangelo drew that, or if Picasso drew that, you won't allow this boat to be erased. You take the boat home, frame it in a golden frame, and put it up on your wall, and say, "This is this is a this is a, this is priceless." Why? Who drew it? Picasso drew it. When I drew it, as soon as I finish the Anagarika Mahatya, has come with the dusters. And all the, all the effort I put in to try and explain this pristine Dhamma to you, you have no concern or care about it. You just erase it all. That's why to save you the trouble, I erase it before I leave. But if Pablo Picasso drew that, if I erase it, you'd shoot me. Why? Where, is this all, where does all this come from? Where, is this, where does this value come from? Is it intrinsic? Is it in the object? No. It's all to do with perception. Because you separate. This line is my line. If Picasso drew that, it's his line. See? What about the line makes it mine or his? What about the line? They were both drawn with the same pen. It was the same pen. The same ink. But not the same hand. Huh? What went into making those two hands? My good friend, chicken, uh, not chicken, my good friend Picasso, right? 
my good friend Picasso, he and I, we, were, we go to the same restaurant. We, both, we go to the same restaurant, we order the same dish, he has one half, I have the other half. Two weeks later, I come and draw this on the board, right? and he comes and draws another one on the board. Which one is more precious? The one that he drew. But we both ate the same chicken from the same restaurant, and the chicken came from the same farm. What makes his drawing so special? Why is Raja Singh's slippers so special? I ask you. Think about it. Hmm? Michael Jackson. You can get the stuff, the gear that he wore, his jacket, his, his hat, you know, that iconic hat as he did the moonwalk, right? Those shoes. Now these things, they, they cost a fortune. You know, none of us would be rich enough to buy that sort of thing. How come? You know, Michael, Michael Jackson's hat is just this pen rearranged. So rearrange it, then you have no value for it. Arrange it back into a hat, now you want it. See, for that, just think about how much you, you go, put yourself through. The, the, the pain that you put yourself through, you know, these things, they cost a fortune that, you know, it's some people's full-time job to protect them from the elements, from thieves. Right? Some people, for some people, it's, it's their full-time job. See, a human life being spent to protect a hat. Human life spent to protect a hat, which, which, which came from this which came from a chicken. But you don't protect the chicken, do you? As soon as the arrangement changes, in your mind, the perceived value changes. So what is value then? It's like an important question to ponder. What is value? This value that you feel inside, you know, what is value? It's only a perceived value. See, I'm proving the point to you. It is only perceived value. Just think about it, right? These, pair of, these glasses, okay? These glasses, imagine I gave this to somebody, someone famous. If I said, would you buy these glasses? You say, ah, so I'm not a second hand, used, old. Mm, if you give me some money, I'll take it. <laughs> you might tell me. I have to give you money to take the glasses, you might say. Okay? But let's say I give these glasses to somebody as a gift. Okay? Maybe I give this to a, a famous actor hmm? or a well known personality. And then they wear it for three days. Then they say, My glasses are for auction. Are you willing to buy? There will be a long queue of people. What changed? Ownership. What is ownership then? Hmm? Ownership is simply a perceived conception. Ownership is a mere perceived conception. Because these glasses have nothing about them that says it is either mine or somebody else's. But when you, when you, when you perceive value value that is, that is purely out there, 
Right? When you or rather not out there, value that you, you perceive in your own mind, see how much and how far you're willing to go to acquire those things. Sometimes, you know, you might even work, work longer hours. You'll have to work harder. You might do an extra job. And if you can't, if you can't acquire it, you know, sometimes people steal it. Now, in stealing it, what do they do? They acquire demerit. But what have they acquired physically? Something of no value at all besides the perceived value. Now, if you take these glasses, right? Let's say it didn't belong to Swami Nuhanse. It just belonged to us. Uh, you know, uh, it belonged to nobody. Right? It was just there. Someone put it through it, right? Old glasses, someone threw it. You could just go and pick it up. No demerit. But it belongs to somebody. And then you think you're stealing it. Now it's demeritorious. Right? Now, see, when you, when you believe that these glasses belong to someone important, right? someone that you, you treasure, someone that you believe is, is, a, is, a, is a very high-ranking individual, maybe, maybe a celebrity, right? now you want it all the more. And when you want it so much, you know, you're, going, you're willing to go any length to get it. Sometimes, you know, the, the, how, how far people are willing to go to get an, get an, uh, get a, get an autobiography, sorry, not a, an autograph, thank you, just to get an autograph. See how far people are willing to go? For a handshake. Have you seen these celebrities walking down the red carpet sometimes and people just, you know, standing on either side, extending their arms? All they want is a touch. And a selfie as they do that. See, what is a touch? It is just chicken versus chicken. That's it. Chicken against chicken. So why don't you just go to the supermarket, buy two chickens and just, you know, do that. No, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't, that's all it is. It doesn't feel the same. That's all it is. It doesn't feel the same. All down to perception. That's why they say, Dukkho loke patitita. Dukkho loko patitita. All of this suffering is all down to Dukkha, which is Jati. All suffering is based in jati. Have you seen how much people, how people line up, just waiting for people, you know, those their, their celebrities to come and you know just give them a, a wave, or maybe just hold their hand, just tap their hand, maybe for a for a picture. Sometimes they you know they'll wait for hours, sometimes maybe even days. Isn't that suffering? Don't you think? Don't you think that's suffering? Just standing in those queues, you know, without anything to, without anything as much as a sandwich to eat, if they are feeling hungry, they have to wait in queue because if they jump out, then someone else is going to come and take their place. But they're willing to go all that length. They're willing to go all the distance, the full distance, because of something they perceive. This is why we are trying to set people free by freeing themselves from all these weird and these nonsensical perceptions that haunt their minds. It is only because you feel that the chicken that you brought home, you brought home with you, you cut it into half and you fed it to this thing, the little body that you have at home, you think that is your daughter, you think that is your son. Right? You perceive them as your son, but all they are is the food that was put there. It's just matter rearranged. But when you perceive that that is your son, that is your daughter, you suffer tremendously. You suffer. 
Separation. This is what separation is. Rearrangement of matter, you separate as entities. That is what separation is. And that separation happens because of jati. That is what jati is. Remember the other day I said jati is type. Right? Is the better word? Type. So these are types of things. Types of pens, types of leaves, types of microphones, types of dust, dusters, types of boards, right? types of all sorts, types. Black types, white types, fair types, dark types. Types. And when you say something is of a type, you separate things that, below, that relate to them together in one bundle, in one pool. And you say this is all part of that. This is that separation. See, if the body did that, just think about it. Right? Your mind does it and you end up with suffering. If the body did that, you'd die of hunger. You'd die. If the body was so focused on type, right? if the body, the actual body, if your body was so obsessed with type, you would never be able to eat anything and digest it. Because the body doesn't see type. The body doesn't perceive type. Therefore, whatever you put into the body, it deconstructs. So that it can reconstruct. Then thank God the body doesn't sense jati. Thankfully, the body doesn't sense jati. Because if the body did sense jati, then you wouldn't be able to eat half the things that you eat right now. It will say, no, I only eat chicken, I only eat fish, I only eat this, I only eat that. Give me pumpkins. And that's what the body would say. I only eat apples, I only eat oranges. But the body doesn't. But you do, right? Mentally. Thankfully, the mental problem that you have does not extend to your body. Otherwise, your bodies would have such a tough time. See, this is all perceived, ladies and gentlemen. Break free from this perception. You can't break free, you know, just like three, two, one, at the flick of my fingers, break free from it. It doesn't work like that. What, breaks, what helps you break free is understanding of the truth. That is why I'm sharing these truths with you. If you can understand this, your perception will change. You will come from, go from wrong perception to right perception. Based in your view. From wrong view to right view. This is what we are about. We are trying to get to the right view. See, now, when there is mitya sankapana, okay, sorry, when you have mitya ditti, that leads to mitya sankapana, kama sankapana, vyapada sankapana, vihinsa sankapana. All these types of sankapana, all these thoughts, right, they are all based in separated things. What is karma after all? How can you sense sensuality? To feel sensuality, you must have a, a, a desire that you lust, a desire of, of attraction, whatever that object is. It can be a physical thing, right? it can be a mental thing, perceived only in the mind. Karma Sankatana. These are sensual thoughts. So to have a sensual thought, you must be able to perceive that as a separate object. Otherwise, how can you have sensual thoughts? Just think about it. I had, say, building blocks. Okay? I configure it in one way, arrange it in one way, and let's say we have a train. I can arrange it another way and say we have a bridge. Okay? Now, for as long as you understand that these are only blocks and their arrangements, right? for as long as you perceive it in that way, but you don't, you always perceive that there's a bridge and there's a, there's a train. 
you perceive them as two different objects. But at least if you, you know now, this is, this is just blocks in a, in a particular arrangement, you don't have a particular affliction or affection to one or the other. That doesn't exist. Because all you perceive are the blocks that make it, and these are just arrangements. But when you can't see that as just an arrangement, if you see them as entities, now you think there's a bridge and there's a, there's a train. And then you have an affliction or you have an affection. That is Kama Sankalpana. Don't you see Kama Sankalpana? This is one of the best examples of that. Yeah. Sam likes Nikki. Where does that come from? And Sam not only likes Nikki, Sam likes Nikki's things as well. See, first Sam likes himself. Does he not? Everybody likes themselves, don't they? If nobody else does, at least I like myself. So Sam likes himself. Sam likes his body. Sam likes his shirt. Sam likes his, his, his coat. Right? And then Sam also likes Nikki. And because Sam likes Nikki, Sam likes Nikki's shirt. And Sam likes Nikki's jacket or coat. See? By extension, everything in this world you can separate into groups. And now if something happens to Sam, I'm talking about Sam from the perspective of Sam, so Sam is Sam. If something were to happen to Sam, he suffers because something has happened to whom? Sam to me. And if something happens to Nikki, something bad were to happen to Nikki, again Sam is affected because something has happened to Nikki, someone that I like. Kama Sankalpana. See, and if something were to happen to Sam's shirt, Sam suffers. If something happens to Nikki's shirt, again Sam suffers. Say Sam got Nikki a necklace hmm, or a dress for her birthday and maybe say the dog has chewed on it. Now Sam suffers again because that is Nikki's shoes or Nikki's dress. But if it was just a dress in a, in a store, Sam walks into the store and there's a dog chewing on a pair of slippers. Does Sam suffer? No. But Sam buys a pair of shoes, gives it to Nikki, and now the dog chews on it. Now doesn't Sam suffer? No, Sam suffers. Why? Because it belongs to Nikki. When, when that pair of shoes is separated, which is because he perceives it as a separate thing, you see, remember we talked about this one day. In this world, we, as the moment you start to sense self, you separate everything as either being mine or not mine. That is, the, that is the, the basic separation that happens. Right? Either mine or not mine. And when there are things that are mine, in this world that is mine, you know, that we, we, we fill this world with the things that we like. And when there are things that are not mine, you again further split this world into things that are not mine, but my wives, maybe my daughters, maybe my children, my grandmothers, right? my friends, my co-workers, and so on. So again, you keep splitting. So depending on how, how attached we are, how close we are, how connected we are with those objects in those worlds, you know, that is the extent to which we, with which we suffer. Things that are in my world are the ones that bring me the most amount of happiness. That is why we keep acquiring these things into my world. What are the things in your world after all? Are there things that make you suffer? Or are the things that you think at least make you happy? What do you keep in your world? The things that you, you think make you happy, right? But that is not the truth. 
the things, whatever you put into your world are, are things that make you suffer. What about the things that are in other people's worlds? Because once you split it up, now there are my things and there are other things. Okay? If there are things in others' worlds, or in, in other, let's say the world, in others' worlds, which you like, you try and get them into yours. That is what people do. And for this, they either do merits or demerits. To try and get these things into my world. And then there are things that, in the, in the other people's worlds, there are things that you don't like. Okay? There are things that you don't like. If you like the person who has that thing, you try and help them to get that thing out of their world. Yeah? But if there are things that you don't like, and the person who has them is also someone you don't like, then you're okay with that. If my friend has cancer, I don't like that. But what if my enemy has a cancer? Then that's okay. I don't want cancer, because I like myself. My friend, also I like. So if they have cancer, I need to do something about that. But if my enemy has cancer, that's fine. See, whenever you separate these things, there's always going to be a fear and, and grief involved with either getting them or losing them. Because you want the world to be in that state. Let me draw it on the board for you just to explain a little bit further. Good question. So this is the universal set of everything that exists. This is everything that exists. And this world we can split into. My world and others. So this is the most fundamental separation. Okay, who's king here? Me. What about here? That was a me. Just everything that is not me. So really, I am the king. Because if this king dies, which world dies? Exactly. Both. Okay? So there's me, and there is the other's world. In here, there are two types of things. There are the good things and there are the bad things. So good things meaning things that I like, things that give me pleasure, things that give me happiness, and bad things are things that take that happiness away from me. They steal my happiness. I don't like them in my world. So what is life then for this person is to have more of these things and less of these things. Hmm? That is what people's life is all about. To, have, to acquire, gather more of the things that you like and get rid of the things you dislike. Then in the other's worlds, now here also we, we further split, we further separate. Because here you have all sorts of other, other, other pools. You can have family, you can have friends, there's extended families, colleagues, right? Then there are neighbors, there's um, fellow countrymen, right? and so on and so on. Right? These are all separations. So, now if you identify yourself as, as, as a Sri Lankan, 
Then here there are Sri Lankans. So when there are Sri Lankans, there are, there's everybody else as well. So this world is very binary. Because see, here's the first binary split. That is why the world is binary. This is the first binary split. Me and not me. And then once it's not me, then everything else can also be split using the same logic. So these are Sri Lankans, these are perhaps Indians. Right? Or you can bundle all of them together, Asians. See? Again, split. So Asians and non-Asians. Sri Lankans and non-Sri Lankans. You see? Now here, when you have others, there are others that you like and there are others that we don't like. Yeah? So when there are these others, so take family for instance. Family we like. Well, most of the time. Family we like. Let's say, say family we like. So we want, we want more of this. Friends we like. We like more of this. There are also enemies that we don't like. We want less of this. Okay? So, life is all about how these things interact with me. The very fact that we have put them into boxes is evidence that we want to interact with them. That is why we put them into boxes. In fact, things you don't interact, you have no interest in them. Therefore, they are not even in boxes. What you don't know doesn't bother you, right? Aren't there things in this world that you don't know? Of course. So, they are in this box called don't know things. But they are not even in a box. In fact, they are just out here. Because you have not yet been able to put them into a box and label them. Alright? So, there are ways in which we interact with them. Now, there are the good things and there are the bad things. When there are things that you like, so these are the good things. Family, for instance, you want them, you want good stuff to happen to them. And if there are things that you don't like, such as the enemies, you don't want good stuff to happen to them. That's the way it is. You don't want good stuff to happen to them. Remember, a few weeks ago we were talking about the mother who was on her deathbed about to split her property among her children. Right? And then Lokwaka came from Australia or Canada or wherever and said, why does she get more than me? Yeah? Because if you don't like someone, you don't like good things to happen to them. If you like someone, you like good things to happen to them and bad things not to happen to them. If you dislike someone... You want bad things to happen to them, but good things not to happen to them. See how evil we are? See? This is the dirty mind. It really is. Such a dirty mind. Such a vile and vicious mind. Be mindful of this. This is what Ragadesha and Moha does. Now, let's take the pair of the shoes. This, the, that example that we discussed earlier. So here we have family, and I have my wife here. So even here you have even smaller circles, right? Mother, father, uh, brother, sister, wife, daughter, son. You know, they're all in this pool. Now I want good things to happen to them because they're in this bigger pool called family. And in general, I want good things to happen to my family. Now here we have, uh, in each of these, you further have the objects that belong to them. That is why you have your shoes right, and my wife's shoes. They're all separate. Okay? So here if you have your family and say this is your wife, if I were to enlarge this, here you have my wife's shoes, uh, her drawer, her, 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 her watch, 
her phone, her pair of keys, her glasses, each of these things have a place here. They're all separate. So your wife's shoes is not the shoes of somebody else's next door wives. They're different. They're separate. All separate. Now when you go to the store, when you go to the store, the shoe, shoe shop, these are others for the time being. This is the shoe shop. And there you have shoes. Each, each pair, a separate shoe. See? <laughs> oh, how funny. Now, when you have two pairs of a shoe, aren't they also separate? Let's say I get a shoe of the same size. Okay? So this is another pair. This is one pair. This is another pair. But they're the same size. And let's say when they come out of the box, they have a little string that tie them together. Okay? Now, you want to buy a pair. They're the same size. If I were to do that, don't you feel something's happened? All I did was take the left shoe from this pair and swap it with the left shoe from the other pair. Don't you feel that something's not right? Hmm? That is because of your sense of belonging. You have that sense of ownership. You say, no, can I have that shoe, the original shoe? How do you know that they weren't swapped in the, in the back of the shop? How do you know they weren't swapped? You don't know, because it's all perceived. What you don't know, you can't perceive. Simple as. So really, you know, if someone wants to fool you, they can do really simple things to fool you and to trick you. They just have to make you feel right, that this is, this is the pair. And then you will want that. So, now you have this pair, which is the pair in the shop, your wife, we are still, we still haven't bought it, so it's still in the shop. And so, as we discussed earlier, there, you, as you walk into the shop, right, there's a dog that's chewing on the shoe. So, right now, whose shoes are these? They're in the not mine category. Not mine, not my wife's, not my, not, you know, not my friends, not my enemies, nobody's. It's just a pair of shoes in a shop. Okay. So, with, when those shoes are concerned, you know, you, you don't care so much. You don't care so much about, because you have very little interaction with them, except for the fact that you know they're not mine. I haven't paid for them. It's all right. It's not mine. Now, of course, you might, if, if you see a, a dog chewing on a pair, you might say, Mr., you know, I think there's a dog that's, you know, eating that shoe. You better go and save that. But if they don't do that, does it bother you? doesn't bother you because your interaction with them is so you know so little very 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 little interaction with them you don't have you don't have the same connection that emotional bond emotional attachment as you would perhaps to a pair of shoes that would be in this box or maybe to a pair of shoes in here, in this box see when we separate things we give each of those separations a value and then once you've given that value Things that belong to that separation also inherit that value. That's the way it works. Because I love my wife, I also love her shoes. I also love her whatever she has, her car. Because I love my children, right, you can make better sense of that. Because I love, I love my children, I love to see them perform well. I love, I love, I love their, their, their little dresses. I, I love their toys. Because that is because I love my children. This is by extension. By, and this is inheritance. 
when you pass on that, when you, ha- when you have those bonds, when you have those connections, those connections inherit down the line. That is what's going on here. Now, this is why, see, that pair of shoes, let's buy it. Okay? You paid money to the shopkeeper, and now he thinks it is no longer his, and you think it is yours. Right, let's all say that again. He thinks that is no longer his, and you think it is yours. <laughs> is there anything else to, other, other than that? To a purchase? No, it's just a matter of your perception. That's all. That's what business is. So now that we've, we've paid for the, for the pair of shoes, we take it out of that and we put it here. This is the wife. And the things that belong to her. Because of your connection with this being so strong, therefore, things that are now in here affect you strongly. Whereas the same pair of shoes, the same pair of shoes, when it was here, it didn't affect you so much because this interaction is almost non-existent. It's there. It's there, but it doesn't affect you so much. But once it's here, all you did was what? Pick up, put it here. That's it. That's all you did. See, if I were to erase all this, okay? <laughs> if I were to erase all this, here's what an arahant says. What was here? It's not. What changed? What was here? Is now here. What changed? Nothing. Here's what you see. Separation. This is what, in one of these talks we were talking about when I did this talk to the Swami said this is called the lattice mentality. Why lattice? Because here's what really happens. None of this is there. A lattice is a structure that you overlay on top of what really exists. That is what a lattice is. So when you put, put down this lattice, when you place this lattice on top of what really exists, now you see that things shuffle, things move around from place to place. First it was, it was my neighbors, then I bought it. Then I sold it to my colleague. Right? And then his child got, inherited it. And then he gave it to me as a gift. See, this, this movement, actually, there is, it just moves in the same place. Yeah, it's just, it just moves in the same place. But once you place this lattice on top of it, now it moves from one thing to another thing. That's what happens. Another good example of this is, in school... Right, remember, as we progress from class to class, we move from grade to grade, didn't we? So, we move from grade one to grade two. Perhaps grade two was on the other, other side of the building, our grade two class. Maybe grade three class was on the, uh, on, on the other side, of the south side of the building. And maybe grade four was on the top floor. So, what did we do over the years? We just moved from one classroom in the same building to another classroom. But because we gave them labels, 
We said this is class 1, this is class 2, class 3, or grade 1, grade 2, grade 3, grade 4, grade 5. Someone who looks at it from the outside with this label mentality would say we have progressed from one grade to the other. But naturally, nothing of that sort exists. It is all a perceived mentality. That is why it is the lattice mentality. This lattice is placed over it. These are the ownerships. These are the belongings that we have. All because of jati. See, this is jati. Types. Wife types. Hmm? This is wife type. Then there was mother type. Then there is family type. Friend type. Enemy type. Co-worker type. Countryman type. Black type. White type. My type. Their type. All of these are types. These, are, these types are all based in ignorance and attachment. What is this ignorance? The ignorance that the types are really there. That is what that ignorance is. What we perceive, we believe, is actually there. We don't know that this is a mere perception. That is what ignorance is. That is why ignorance is the ignorance of ignorance. We are ignorant that what we perceive as separation is merely a what? A perception. That is what we are ignorant of. We think that this perception, what we perceive, is actually out there. You think that these, these, these flowers are actually here. What you don't know is this is just a manifestation. That is ignorance. But once you understand that this is a mere manifestation, now you know that this is just matter arranged in a certain way, and we call it, uh, what do you call them? Jasmine? Lilies? Water lilies? Water lilies. You call this water lily. That is just an arrangement. But after, you know, very soon, this is going to wither away. It's going to rot, right? And it's going to go into the soil. And then, maybe uh, an earthworm might, might eat it, right? And then a, a gecko or a lizard might go and eat the earthworm. Right? And then the cat will eat, <laughs> eat, eat the lizard, right? And then, now, you're, this, is, this is cat. This is your cat. I see the future. This is your cat. That's why, you know, that's why all labels that we give are only very temporary. They're very temporary labels. Let's, let's understand that and live. We don't have to stop calling this a pen. Let's call it a pen. But all the while, let's understand that we just perceive this as a pen. It is merely the arrangement that exists in this moment. In any moment it can change. Because that is what Anicca is. Manifestations. So do you see, when you have mine and you have others, there is always going to be suffering. Because when, things, when good things happen in your world, you are happy. When bad things happen in your world, you are unhappy. Just imagine if something happened over here. Now this is your world. Okay? This is others' world. What if something happened over here? Now what happens? Hmm? How would that affect you? Did you catch the question? This is your world. This is the other's world. Something happens here. How would that affect you? It won't affect you. Would you be sad or would you be happy? Asking the wrong question, right? Neither is the answer. That is because it is not in the world that you have created. Dukko, Doko, Patitita. Jati happens in the mind and when Jati happens you project this lattice 
you project this lattice onto a world in which there is no separation. Imagine when you open your eyes, okay, have you seen those floaters in your eyes some from time to time? You like those little worms, and you see them floating around, they're called floaters, right? Just imagine when you open, if, when you open your eyes, you see this world separated, okay, and then, and then compartmentalized. So there are men and there are women. Right? There are, there's my family and there's their family. There are neighbors and there are uh, relations and non-relations, non-neighbors and so on. Just imagine when you open your eyes, you see that. When you close your eyes, it's gone. Such is the, is the projection that you do when your mind is, in, is ignorant. What really exists is none of this. There's neither mine nor not mine. Pen. Whose pen is this? Whose pen is this? Wrong question. Let's ask him to open his eyes. Right now it's closed eyes. What do I mean by eyes? Ignorant projections. Okay? Let's get him to open his eyes. Now whose pen is it? The others. Let's take this and put it here. So I paid, I paid money for it. Hmm? This was previously here, now it's here. Okay? What really happened? Nothing happened. Like, why don't I stop drawing so I can do it with my pen? So this pen was initially here. I picked it up and put it here. He's got his eyes closed. Okay? Who does it belong to now? Wrong question. Let's ask him to open his eyes. Mine. <laughs> See what a silly world we live in? How much silliness? And because of it, the suffering that comes. See, the moment this is over here, folks, now you have to protect it, don't you? Who becomes a guardian now? You become the guardian. Now if someone tries to snatch it, you have to take it from them. You have to, you have to go to court. You have to sue them. Hmm? And you have to fight for it now because this is yours. If someone tries to steal it, you have to fight for it. You have to lie for it. You might have to break some bones. And in the meantime, as you do that, you acquire demerit. This is the thing, right? This is why it's so, so terrible and, and why we must be so grateful to the Buddha for this teaching. Although ownership is only imaginary, the karma that we do for the sake of ownership is all real. What a foul deal. What a foul deal. It's like you think you are buying a car, but you're not really, but you're paying real money for it. And to get real, earn real money, you're doing a real job. But you're actually not buying a real car. It's like a dream. In the dreams, although what happens is not real, don't, isn't your suffering real? When you see a nightmare, you start sweating and your heart, beats, heart starts beating faster. And you start screaming in your dreams. Help, help, save me, save me. You, you, st you start screaming at the top of your voice. 
All of that is real, right? That's why someone comes and wakes you up, because in the real world, it's, it's also happening. Someone comes and shakes you, hey, come on, come on, wake up, what's going on? Are you, night, you know, having nightmares? And then you open your eyes and you realize, ah, oh, all of that was just a nightmare. That was just a dream. See, although the things that happened in your dream were unreal, the suffering that came with that was real. It's the same thing here. Although you think that this is your pen or somebody else's pen, that is all fake. It's only a projection of your mind. But the suffering that comes with that, the eleven great fires are all very real. Now how grateful are you to the Buddha? <laughs> because he teaches you this he teaches you open your eyes wake up from your dream wake up from your dream and realize that this pen wasn't anyone's to begin with it's not mine, it's not his so when there is no mine and there is no his then there is no sense of belonging when there is no sense of belonging there is no sense of fear there is no sense of you know, the need to protect the need to preserve the need to safeguard. That's not there. You do it out of duty, perhaps. You know, I, as a monk, you know, I have certain things I have, to, I have to protect. But that is because of my duty. I don't suffer because something happens. If you, if you burn this whole, whole place down, right, I don't suffer. But if I get to know that you're trying to do that, I might come and try and talk sense to you and say, please don't. This place is of much use to a lot of people. So please don't do that. In fact, I might even inform the police. Because that is my duty. It's an obligation I have. But, burn this place down or turn it upside down. I won't suffer because of that. Suffering is purely because of these projections that the mind makes. See how the truth sets you free? What is the truth? It's neither mine, nor theirs, nor his, nor my wife's. Yeah? No, my families, no, my friends, no, my enemies. All of these, all of these boxes. That's why it's better to draw them in dotted lines rather than drawing in, in straight lines. Right? They're all just projections. They're all just projections. And, and, all of these are also manifestations, not just the objects in them. Right? These separations are also manifestations. Hetum parichasambhuta. What are these manifestations of? Ignorance and attachment. Patichasamuppada is the process that manifests these separations. That is why we say it's a dependent origination of suffering. Or jati. See, jati, see, this is one jati. This is one type. My family, one type. My enemies, see, this is one type. Where did that dotted line come from? What was the process that manifested that? Yes, dependent origination. Parichasamuppada. Parichasamuppada is the, is the process that manifests that separation. But what about the object in here? That's, that's just manifested. That is not Parichasamuppada. That is not the dependent origination of suffering. It is not jati that, that creates this. Yeah, there is vipaka and all that, you know, which is all comes later. Because of karma, there's vipaka, and because of vipaka, you get the rupa. I'm not talking about that. In immediate terms, right, the pen is just there. The pen is a pen. That's it. It's just a configuration. It's just a configuration of matter. But the fact that you sense that this is my pen, 
or the fact that you sense that this is a pen that is void of the causes. The, a pen that is, that is free of the, the causes that create this. A pen that is not manifested, but a pen that exists. All of that are projections of the mind, and the, and, the, and the process that initiates that, and the process that delivers that, is the dependent origination process. That's why I say, it is not the dependent origination of rebirth, or the dependent origination of, of birth per se, it is the dependent origination of dukkha, jati, typing. This is what creates all these types in your mind. That is why you can be free when you understand this. That's why ownership is merely a perception. So when you sense that you, you know, something belongs to you, take a moment and contemplate, is that really mine? Or do I just perceive it as mine? That's where you begin. Don't expect that at the end of this sermon you're, never, you're not going to feel anything that you're not going to feel a sense of ownership or belonging. It's not just going to happen magically. It will take time. So, but you have to meditate. How do you meditate now? Like this? Breathing, breathe out? No, no. Meditate is a meditation on whatever comes into your eye. It's a meditation. It's a reflection. It's a contemplation. That is what meditation is. A reflection. A contemplation. Seeing the truth. Applying the truth. Bhavita bahuli kata. Abhinyaya sambodaya. Nibbanaya sangvattati. This is what meditation is. Reflection, contemplation, application. Application is meditation. Application of what? Knowledge. The truth. So, if you, for instance, look at the... If you have a watch on you, have a look at your watch for a second. Or something that belongs to you. Have a look at it and ask yourself, do I feel that this is mine? You can do it right now. Look at something that belongs to you and ask yourself the question, do I feel that this is mine? If you do, realize that that is a problem first. Because I've just explained to you how things cannot be yours. You only perceive them as yours. So first of all, accept and acknowledge that it is a mere perception. First come to that understanding. It's a perception. There's a perception that's going on in this mind that this object belongs to me. Say you're looking at your children. Maybe you're looking at your wife. Maybe you're looking at you know, your house, your, your phone, your, the chair you're sat on, maybe your clothes, your hands, your fingers, your fingernails, whatever, parts of your body. And you perceive that they are yours. The first stop is understand it's a perception. If you can get that far, that's a real victory in itself. Just the understanding that this is a perception. What is a perception? A perception is what the mind perceives. What do minds do? They perceive. That's what minds do. So perceptions can be true and they can be false. Remember the, the videos we watched a long time ago? Right? Those, uh, you know, they were almost comical videos. Like the wife comes home and the, the husband is preparing a, a meal for the wife. Right? And then I think they're making some tomato puree or something and the cat jumps on it. And then the cat topples the, the, the container and now the husband picks up the cat with a knife in his hand and the wife walks in through the door. <laughs> and, and there's something that looks like blood. So what does the wife think? He's trying to? Oh, he has just killed the cat. Remember that? Yeah. So, again, perception. Because the mind is capable of perceiving both true and falsehood. Because per- perceiving doesn't always have to be the truth. Perceiving can also happen with falsehood, because it's just perception. 
So, when you perceive that something belongs to you, right from all this to anything outside, your body is also part of the part here. Okay, when you perceive it, recognize that this is a perception. Then, here's what you do next: ask yourself, how do perceptions happen? What is the cause and effect principle of perception? How do perceptions happen? Someone had asked the question here last, from last week's sermon. They said, Swami answer, I now understand that the bodies of the people I associate is just matter. But what about their minds? That was the question that they asked. So again, I understand that the bodies of, of, of people that I associate or my associations are or is matter, but what about their minds? The problem is you're asking me about their minds and their bodies. That is the thinking that I want you to get out of. It is neither theirs or mine because this sense of belonging, this sense of ownership is the actual problem itself. So what is the mind then? The mind we've talked about for a long time. Right? When the eye comes into contact with an object, these are, these are the objects. Right? These are the objects. Patavyapo tejo vayu. These are the objects. So, when the eye comes into contact with one of these objects, see now, now I can, through this you can, you can understand the whole thing. This model, right? So, there's an object here. The eye sees this object. Now, this eye is also not here. Where is this eye? Where is it? Here. Because whose eye is it? It's my eye. Let's not forget that. Because we are all, you know, this is all based in ignorance. The whole thing is based in ignorance. So, my eye sees an object. Okay? Let's talk about the Arahant for a second. There are none of these separations. None of these separations. There's an object and there's an eye. Whose eye? No, no. Just eye. An eye. So, an object is seen and... As a result, a chitta is born. Okay? When the, so, now I'm, I'm trying to explain to you a subtle concept, but I think by now you can all understand it's because we've come all this way. Try and, try and understand or try and ca- capture from what I'm, going to, about, what I'm about to say now, at which point does this, this lattice mentality appear? It's not there yet. This is what is there right now. There's an object and there's an eye. A chitta has just been born. But this chitta is born into a bed that is laden with ignorance. Okay? So the chitta is born and the chitta's job is to the five things. Receive, register, recognize, respond and perceive. Right? So perception is the final objective of a chitta. So when this happens in the mind of an arahant, whatever this object is, that object is perceived. So you get this. That's it. Okay? But this is happening in a mind that is cursed with ignorance. What is ignorance? What is the ignorance? The ignorance is that things belong. Things are separate. So when this chitta is born, the first separation that this chitta will experience is I am separate. The chitta actually feels that. I am separate. So at the, the moment this chitta is born, here's what happens first. Here's what happens first. A line is drawn to separate everything in this world. There's me and mine 
and others. When the next question is, well, what about this object? Whose is it? What about the I? Whose is it? All of these things start coming now. Because the chitta is now running in, in is running wild indeed. Yes. It's running in Abhisankara mode, right? Safety mode, insane mode, right? It's it's doing all that. So insanity has now taken place and with that insanity hallucinations begin to happen and now this projection this projection takes place and therefore now you get the lattice. So this becomes my I, this object, either I'm seeing, yes, and this object can either be my object or somebody else's object. But if this object is pleasurable, if it's down here, then now effort has to be made from here on to pick this up from here and place it here. Who drew the line? The mind itself. Is that a real line? No. It's just a perceived line. So in a perceived separation, objects are moved around in a perceived manner to give the perception that they are separate and I feel happy and I feel good about it. See, what a lie. Yes. Of course. Yeah. I mean, who invented money? Arhants. Money is required so that things of value can be exchanged, right? Because actually at the beginning we didn't have money. We, we had a bartering system. You know, we exchanged things. Things of value were exchanged. But later on people came to realize, you know, I, I don't want, you know, a, a sack, of, sack of rice because that's going to go off in a little while. Why don't I keep something that doesn't go off? So I can use it for later. And then money was invented. Coins and notes and currency was invented. So now they can put it in a bank. They don't even have to have the real stuff. You know, it's just a digital number. <laughs> that, that doesn't live anywhere. Again, it's a perceived value. Right? In a, in a, in a, in a, on, a, on a computer somewhere, it's just a bunch of zeros and ones. And people get this feeling that I have a lot of money. That's why what you need, folks, is not strawberry. You just need the flavor of strawberry. They make you happy just the same. That's why you don't ask for strawberry ice cream. You ask for strawberry flavored ice cream. It's just the same. You can eat your strawberry flavored ice cream all the while thinking that you're eating strawberry ice cream. That is what a fool the mind can be. You don't need the real thing. You just need to perceive that you have it. You, you know, sometimes you say, do you love me? You ask somebody, yes, I do love you. Oh, then it's okay. How do you know they're not lying to your face? How come you can be cheated? And you'll still be okay with that? When you don't know? As long as you don't know you're being cheated, cheating is okay, is it not? I know that's a terrible question to be asking, but isn't that the truth? Cheating is okay as long as you don't know you're being cheated. Therefore, cheating goes on everywhere. But people just, doesn't, people just don't know that. And as long as people don't know that, as they say, what don't know, what I don't know, don't hurt me. What I don't know, don't hurt me. Now, some people, you know, I've heard people having these conversations. Are you going to tell her about it? No, 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 man. I'm not going to tell her. What she doesn't know doesn't hurt her. She's happy. I'm happy. She's also happy. We're all happy. So what's the problem? 
If I can make two women happy at the same time, you know, better, is it not? And neither of them know that the other one is treated on. So, what's the problem? What's the deal? Because they, for, for, for both of them, all they need is to perceive that I have committed myself to that one person. So, what is commitment then? Perception. So what is getting onto a pole with it? And holding your fingers like this, tying it together, and saying the words, till death do us part. Sorry, I know, I'm not trying to mock you know, an institution that is considered holy in, in, in some, some, some faith, some religions, and so on. What I'm just saying is, you know, let's, let's not be childish about this, let's be mature about it, and actually begin to understand what's really going on here. You know, because we can kid ourselves, but the truth of the matter is, people get married to cheaters all the time. Sometimes only you know, three years, sometimes five years after you get, got married, had children together, do you, do you learn that they've got children in you know, half, half, of, half of the villages in the country? You don't know this. As long as you don't know you're being cheated on, what's the problem? But then when you get to learn that you were cheated on, you ask them, why did you cheat? Why didn't you tell me? That's the wrong question to, uh, to be asking, really, because it is only because they weren't informed were they able to live happily. What they're asking is, why didn't you destroy my happiness earlier? You know what I'm saying? You know, when, when someone finds out that they were cheated upon, right, they ask the question, if you've been cheating on me for the last five years, why didn't you let me know? Why didn't you tell me that you had, this another, you had another affair going on? I mean, the simple answer to that is, now that I've told you, how do you feel? You feel terrible, right? That's why I didn't tell you. I don't want to make your life miserable for you. I want you to be happy. That's why I didn't tell you. I'm not advocating any of this, by the way. Right? Cheating is bad. Don't do it. It's terrible. Right? It can destroy families and it will destroy the person who's cheating, first of all. Right? It's a terrible thing to do. But, you know, all that to aside, just taking a purely logical look at it, right, without, without all the, the other stuff, it's all perception. You know, you maintain your sanity because you perceive that you've got your family around you, you've got your friends around you, right, you, you have the things that belong to you. You know, you think your car is yours, therefore you are okay with that. You're happy. You're happy because you think you have a car. No. Collectively, we have agreed to call it your car. If tomorrow they change the laws of the country and they say all cars from here on are confiscated. From here on, all cars belong to the state, so you have to give up. Now, it's no longer your car. You can think that you're a rich man and have a lot of money, but the next day, right, if they, if they make an announcement that all currencies are invalidated, the rupee is from here on invalid. We have to start using the Indian rupee or we have to start using the Australian dollar, uh, or the Singaporean dollar, right? And all rupees, Sri Lankan rupees are invalid from here on. You know, someone who thought that they were rich, and had, say, a billion rupees in their bank account, now what does that make them all of a sudden? Broke. How do they feel from there on? Desperate. So what was it they were feeling up until now? A perception. That is what it is. Your mind is simply a perceiving machine. That's all. 
Your body is a reconfiguring machine for matter. Your, body, your mind is a perceiving machine for objects. That's all it is. So get down from your high horse right? come down to reality, right? face, face, face the truth right? and, and become humble. This is where humble, this is, these are the origins of humbleness when we begin to realize that we were not who we thought we were. We used to think that the world revolves around us. We are the center of the universe, but now we begin to understand that we are nobodies. There is nothing to let go because nothing was ours to begin with. If nothing was yours to begin with, your life wasn't yours to begin with, your body is not yours to begin with, your mind even is not yours. So what is yours then? So who are you then? How do you used to say, don't you know who I am? No, the answer to that should be, no, do you? Do you know who you are? Now you are beginning to understand that I am actually nobody. Now you are beginning to understand that? That you are a nobody? Why doesn't an Arahant fear death? Why doesn't an Arahant fear death? It's because an Arahant understands that the mind is just a machine that perceives. So what? So what if it stops working? Hmm? If this body is purely a machine that reconfigures, rearranges, so what if it stops working? Who cares? And if the mind is simply a machine that perceives and it stops working, so what? Here's where the problem is. When you, believe, when you perceive, when the mind perceives that it is I who perceive, now there's a problem. Because now I am threatened. My life is threatened. That is where the problem is. See? <laughs> How you can be fearless in the face of death? Because there is no such thing as death. All there is is this, perce- this perceiving machine no longer happens in this body. That's all. And Paranibbana is what? The perceiving instrument stops. That's it. No longer perceived. So what? So what happens? No longer perceived. So what? What next? Hmm? What's the deal? What next? Nothing happens. That's it. We seem to think and convince ourselves that if we were if it wasn't for us, the whole world will fall apart. My family, you know, they would go to despair and, you know, they'd, 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 they'd have no place to live, they'd have no father, they'd have no mother, my children will, you know, will starve to death. Oh, I have to be around to look after them. My workplace, you know, the whole place will go, 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 go bankrupt and I have to be there to look after it. My students who learn from me, if I don't teach them, if, I don't, if I'm not here to look after them, you know, they won't be able to pass their exams and they'll all fail and they'll go to despair. Oh, I have to be here to look after them. My wife, you know, if I, if I don't look after her, what's going to happen? Don't worry, somebody else will. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen because it was not you who did any of those things anyways. There was no doer. It was just, it was just the done. I, I always tell this to you. There is no doer, just the done. There is the done. This is done. See, this sermon is done. As in not the past tense. It's just being done. That's all. It's not I doing the sermon. The sermon is being done. Hmm? This listening that is happening, it's being done. You are not listening. I I know that you are not listening. (laughs) If you were, you wouldn't be where you are right now. I know you are not listening. (laughs) 
<laughs> My point is, it is not you who is doing the listening to not do the listening, right? Listening is being done or it is not being done. That's it. It is not you who is seeing. Seeing is being done. It's a process. When there's a process, there's no doer. It's just the done. Who reigns? Hmm? Who reigns? No, rain is done. It's a passive process. So much for everything. Everything is a passive process. There is no active process here. There are no active processes. What about, what about jati then? Is that an active process? No, that is also a passive process. For as long as ignorance and attachment are there, depend on origination of jati. Depend on origination of dukkha. Depend on origination of suffering, if you want to call it that. That's what happens. That is also a passive process. There is no doer. Just the done. Okay, doer. Just the done. No doer. Make sense? Did you make sense of it? Huh? Did you make sense of it? <laughs> or was it just done? Yes, it was made sense of. You didn't make sense of it. If you made sense of it, I wouldn't have to have struggled so hard. Why, why so many examples? Why so many sermons? Why so many similes and metaphors? Right? Why so much struggle? Why such a struggle? Why such, why such effort has to go in to make understand? It is because it's when all those causes come together will, the, will understanding manifest. It's a manifestation. What we are trying to do here is to keep you know, turning those knobs Hmm? Moving those, turning those wheels up and down, turning those, those, uh, those dials up and down, trying to create the environment whereby at one moment in your mind you go, aha, got it. That is a manifestation, manifestation of causes. It is not you who understands. What you understand is that. It is not I who understands. That is why the other day I asked you, you know, the Buddha. When he became the Buddha, what did he realize? He was always a Buddha. He realized he was always a Buddha. Over and above the Buddha Chitta, there ran defilements. That made that Chitta think that I am a human being. I am a man. I am Siddhartha. But underneath, it was just a pure Chitta. And Arhachitta. Okay. Time's up for today. So please contemplate on these truths. You know, that is why we make such an effort here. Vipaka is perceived, yeah. And Vipaka is a manifestation. Everything is a manifestation. What does the mind do? It, it, it perceives Vipaka. Rupa is a perception. Vedana is a perception. Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, perception. The next day we'll talk about this in more detail. What is Rupa actually? We say Rupa, Rupa, Shabda, Rupa, Gandha, Rupa, Rasa, Rupa. What are they? They are merely perceptions. I think I, I talked about this once. Because once, one day uh, Swami Nase, who had a knee ache, he came and asked me, Sir, I have this knee problem. It's hurting me a lot. How do I, how do I practice the path? So I'll answer very briefly as you ask, sir. And, and the answer to that question was, what you are perceiving is not the pain on the knee. Because what you are perceiving is a perception. What you feel as pain is not in the knee. So don't worry. You know like when you exercise, 
Let's say you're doing push-ups, right? And you've given yourself a count to do for, for, for the day. Say you've, been, you're, you've given yourself 100 push-ups, right? By the time you've done maybe the first 10, you're going, oh, I can't do this anymore. It's too tiring. And you feel the aches start in, you know, in your body. Those aches are not really there. It doesn't hurt your body so much. This is just how you perceive it. Once you understand that, that's, then you realize it's just a mental barrier. Your body can keep going on. How do you know the body can't? The body will stop. Because it's a machine. If the body can't, it will stop. But this pain that you sense, it's a perception. This, when you slap yourself, okay, that is how that stimulus is perceived. What your hand perceived was not that. It didn't perceive that at all. That pain was not perceived there. It was simply the mind interpreting the slap. So you know how to feel when you do that? This feeling, this sensation, is just the mental perception of a slap. It is not the slap itself. When a mosquito bites you, and the itch, it is, that is not what an itch feels like. That is not what an itch is like. It is what an itch feels like. In other words, it is your mind perceiving it. So it's not really out there. If you held a candle to your, to your, to your palm, and the heat, that is not what, is, what it is really like. It's only what it is perceived like. More on that another day. I can see confused faces all around the room. I don't want to rush through it, so we'll talk about it next week. All right. We have a blood donation campaign today, as you may know. So today your blood is holy. So you've listened to the Dhamma, right? So whoever is capable and whoever qualifies to, to donate, you can engage in that meditable deed as well. I was, uh, you know, make a make a resolve by you know, this this meditable deed I do, may because it's a giving that you do. You are giving the gift of giving after all. Right? It's for someone to be able to live another day. Right? Because who, know, who how do you know who's going to be the receiver of this donation? It could be a Swami Nuance somewhere, and it doesn't have to be a Swami Nuance. It could be a lay person. Right? Maybe they are diligent with their practice. They want to attain nibbana. Right? When you make that offering, that is what you need to think. May this offering help someone to relieve themselves from suffering. Always do that. So then it doesn't matter what it is used for. If they go and throw it down the drain, who cares? That's for them to decide. For us, it is an offering that we do. Are you one Patibana? That is what. Any offering that you do, think of it in those terms. Are you one Patibana? Always make it a Dakinayo. It doesn't just have to be every other Saturday or a Poya day. So when you do the blood donation today, right, give it wholeheartedly. And make a resolve by this donation that I make. May someone, may this enable someone on their path to Nibbana. That will be such a powerful resolve for you to make. And that will see you through very well. Matters not what happens to the end product. Alright. Let us take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have acquired today to all those who deserve it. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis and upasakas and upasikas who have since time immemorial protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, let us pass his merits over to them for having preserved the Dhamma in the form of the Sripitaka which is available today to study, understand and comprehend the teaching of the Buddha. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits 
to the members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the other monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the friends of the monastery, to our devotees, who for the sake of merits, to help them on the path to Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who Provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who provide for the construction of the monastery, as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits. To our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employees, our employees and our teachers, and to all who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form possible and available to them, and may by the power of these means, if any of them have been poor mental or physical health, which has been an obstacle for them to practice the path, may they all be free from that. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who commit themselves to, as a bed, to fulfill the Sambhadasasana and its preservation, as well as our guardian deities who keep a watchful life over us and keep us out of harm's way, and may by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who passed away in our name, our loved ones, our ancestors, and those who have predeceased us. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, as well as those who might have lost their lives in the wars, be they friend or foe. Let us also rejoice, transfer these merits to those who might have lost their lives in natural calamities, natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes and landslides, fires, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that they will all have been family and friends to us in this infinitely long journey of sansara, let us take the moment to transfer these merits to them. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves to be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And may you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, by thought or by deed, become one of those Arahatun Mohanses, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.
members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.